0: Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you guys all had a great Easter weekend. Excited to talk to you about Drew Holiday's contract extension, the Milwaukee Bucks weekend, the Milwaukee Brewers bad weekend, and missing Jalen Sugg's shot, as well as a little bit of Gonzaga Baylor. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Very excited to have this podcast Uh, rate, review, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. We're also on social media at SnowTapWI. Let's get into it. So Drew Holiday, started easter off with a bang he signs a extension for four years 160 million dollars now 20 million of that is bonuses that drew's probably not going to get it's really going to end up being around one year four years not one year four years 140 million dollars drew decided to stay with milwaukee it was a foregone conclusion i did a podcast gosh i don't know if about right after the trade deadline? No, it was right after his deadline where you, he could sign the extension. And I said, it's not a matter of if or when, but if. Or if then when, I screw that up all the time. But yeah, he... We knew that this was going to happen. This was kind of agreed upon before Milwaukee made the deal. Now I know that stuff can't happen, and I know the Bucks are the princes of tampering, according to the NBA, except Andre Drummond and the Lakers was a foregone conclusion, despite Drummond not signing with the Lakers. So riddle me that, but that's here nor there and not what we're talking about. But it was kind of agreed upon before the Bucks made this massive deal for holiday that he would sign an extension and stay with the Bucks. Now, at it, it, first, it didn't look like Holiday was completely on board with Mike Budenholzer. He had some comments. I wouldn't say that were negative, but he definitely questioned some of the things that Bud were, was doing. I don't know if they've ironed that out. Obviously, Holiday has looked really comfortable in the offense in the last few games, which I think is a bad sign for the rest of the league because it seems like the Bucks are kind of hitting their stride. If you've watched them the last few games, it really looks like Milwaukee is kind of all putting it together. Um, they had their moments where they were putting it together and yeah, they they had a hiccup against the Celtics, hiccup against the, the Clippers, but it, it really does feel like the Bucks are starting to hit their stride and it's really being led by Holiday sort of taking control of this offense and being more of a scorer. He's been very efficient the last two nights in Portland and Sacramento. He also was awesome against the Lakers on Wednesday night. He's just been in an, in another world in his bag, as the kids would say. And that, that wasn't the reason to be like, oh, we have to get this extension done. But I think maybe that was the exclamation point for Holiday to be like, you know what? I can be a player in this offense. I can be an all-star. I can be an NBA all-pro. Like, there's no reason to believe that Drew Holiday can't be the second banana on this team. And I know we talk about that probably too much. Like if there's a term that, if you had like a a dictionary of snow tap overused words, I think you would put second banana in there. And I think you'd also put house money because I think we overuse those. So I apologize. But I do think Holiday can have that sort of impact have more of an impact than Chris Middleton. Um, I had a friend of mine over the weekend say he's the most important player for the playoffs, and I have to actually agree with that. You know, I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is obviously – obviously matters and it's, it's important, but what really comes down to it is you need that second guy or that third guy to carry your team some nights. And that holiday has been proven to be a great playoff player. He's had some, he had an amazing series against the Portland trailblazers. Coincidentally enough, uh, when he was playing with new Orleans and Anthony Davis, and he's locked down some premier perimeter players like Damian Lillard, who also had his clamps. And you look at where, you know, kind of the East is, and you say, all right, well, he's going to be on Kyrie Irving and he's going to make Kyrie Irving's life a living hell. And who knows where he, where he goes with the Sixers, whether he is big enough to guard a guy like Ben Simmons. I don't know. I think that's a, that's a real question and maybe a problem for when they face the Sixers, but we're not going to kind of get into that now. And the Bucks do have another game against the Philadelphia 76ers to kind of figure that out. And hopefully Embiid will be healthy for that one. So we can really get kind of a gut check on what the Bucks are against the Philadelphia 76ers. They actually might have one more game after, after that matchup with the Sixers on Saturday afternoon, I think in a couple weeks from now. I'll be in Austin, Texas that Saturday. So I might have to outsource the game review on that one. But back to Holiday. He he just has what you want out of a point guard, modern point guard in the NBA, and he is underrated. And I think some of the people who are saying, well, this is a lot of money, this you know, he's never been an all-pro, he's never been an all-star. I, I think you haven't paid enough attention. You just haven't watched the Bucks enough. You haven't watched Drew Holiday enough. And you can't like see the little things that he does on the court and the impact that he has. I mean, there's a reason why Milwaukee lost five straight games without him. Now they were able to win a couple at, without him because they played some of the sisters of the poor of the NBA. But the fact of the matter is, is like they really struggled without Holiday. And his impact is massive. And to go from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday is like eating, you know, chicken, like frozen chicken breasts, you know, for dinner on a regular basis to going to being to eat like good beef on a regular basis. That's what you're getting. That's what you're getting with Drew Holiday. He is a premier meal every time out and- I, I think the Bucs were already into committing to them and they had their big three and this is now what you have and the championship window is wide open. I wrote about it on Sotep WI, so I don't wanna repeat myself there but I will I will mention that Bucks fans need to just remind themselves that they don't need to win a title this year. I know, I know we all want to. I know we all want the idea of a title. A title sounds great but this window is wide open. This window has years on it. It's not the end of the world if Milwaukee doesn't come and win the Larry O'Brien trophy and we don't have a parade in August celebrating the Bucks and their championship. They can win one next year. They can win one the year after. There's time now with Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis all together And I think they all like each other. I think there is a bond there. I think there is unity. Giannis is a leader at this point. I think from things I've talked to with people who know things, that Jan- you know, they kind of follow Giannis' lead. And I think Giannis, the last couple of years, was really uptight and really cared so much about what other people thought and listened to a lot of the haters and thought he had to be this uptight professional. And I think this year, and you hear this a lot in the, after the national games where they're asking Giannis about what happened in this one or how you're feeling. And he's like, I'm just trying to have fun, man. And I think that whether it's holiday, whether it's just Giannis growing up as an individual, whether it's Giannis having a kid, I don't know. But it's clear that this team is re- likes each other and that they are a very well-oiled machine. And maybe... Brooklyn has a better overall talent. They have a more talented roster. But could you argue that the Bucs have the best chemistry out of anybody in the Eastern Conference? Who has a better chemistry than the Bucs right now? Philadelphia Sixers sure as shit don't. I mean, we still have the Embiid and Simmons debates. Ben Simmons was nearly traded at the start of this season. He probably should have been if you are really looking back at it. There's no reason Philly shouldn't have pulled the trigger and traded James Harden, but that is more on, I guess more on Houston than it is on Philly. Philly was ready to pull the trigger. And I think Harden and Embiid would have been really tough for the Bucs. I think it would have been really difficult. And I'm I'm thankful that we don't have to deal with that. And instead it's Simmons and Embiid and that chemistry is still kinda, I don't know. And yeah, it's been great for Brooklyn during this, you know, the regular season. When the chips are down, Kevin Durant is back and someone has to be the big dick in the cracker factory down the stretch, who is that player gonna be? And will one of the other players say, you know what, I need the moment. I need to be on SportsCenter's Instagram page. Like, that's my moment. It's not your moment, it's my time. How are we convinced that that's not going to happen with the Brooklyn Nets? I don't think we know that yet. And I think with the Bucs, they know their roles. They know where they're supposed to be. They know when the moment they need to rise up and you can win a championship with three all pros. There's no reason you can't. And I know that people are gonna say, oh, well, what about Dante DiVincenzo? What about Brooke Lopez? it's like, well, you got P.J. Tucker to kind of mitigate some of that. And you have a bench that's improving. I think the Jeff Teague ad, while I'm not a huge fan of it, I'm not ready to just be like, oh, they have Jeff Teague and he sucks. Like, yeah, he didn't play well in Boston. But you know what? He looked all right against Sacramento when the Bucks played over the weekend. He had a really nice play at the end of the third quarter to find Thanasis when he was kind of out of control and he realizes it. And he and Thanasis, credit to him, was running right, outside, right alongside Teague and Teague finds him. Now, if you want to add a guy like Ben McLemore to basically have a second version of Bryn Forbes to be like, all right, this is a light switch. We're going to see if it's working today. And if it's not, we'll be, he'll be on the bench. But if he is, then all right, we add more shooting. I don't know. Would I like Ben McLemore more than Austin Rivers? Maybe. Um, just I think he does. A, he's a little bit of a better shooter, and I think more shooting is always a good thing and always needed. So this Bucks to kind of go back and and finish this thought is the Bucks know who they are, and the Bucks know that this is their team and this is the fabric and these are the leaders, and. Mike Boonholzer, I think has learned how to kind of work with Drew Holiday. And I think that Holiday and Bud are on the same page. You can tell the last three games have been a little different. You can admit that, right? You can admit that the Bucs are playing a little differently and it's more Holiday focused than it ever has been. And it's paying off. The Bucs should have probably won by double digits in all three of their games and using Holiday as sort of the catalyst, led to Giannis Antetokounmpo's incredible night on Friday, which I guess we can get into that now, a little bit of their weekend. You know, Giannis goes off for 47 points, complete virtuoso performance. 47 points, 18-21. He was fantastic. This was one of the best games I have ever seen from Antetokounmpo. If you They did it like the Emmys where, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you submit for the Emmys, you pick like an episode of like where you're like awesome, where you're like at the peak. And like you as an actor, like just say Jason Bateman in Ozark. Jason Bateman picks that one scene in Ozark season three, which I won't say any. If you haven't watched Ozark, I recommend it. But he'll pick that one scene he was great in or the one episode where he was on fire. And that's what they'll, they'll submit to the Emmy voters. If Giannis could do that for his MVP, this would be the game that he'd submit, right? Like 47 points, 21 attempts, 11 of 13 from the free throw line. Giannis was unbelievable. The only three shots he missed were from behind the three point arc. He was 18 of 18. I think I saw something where he had more points inside the two. He had, I think he had 36 pointer, thirty six points from the two point range. And that was more than what the Blazers had for the entire game. I think they only had 35. Unbelievable performance from Antetokounmpo. He should be really proud of himself. I think it's a message to people who don't want to consider him for MVP. You're fucking crazy. I can't believe that James Harden, a guy who quit on Houston, is getting more MVP buzz than Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think the notion of, from people and I love Bill Simmons but the idea that he's already in the Clayton Kershaw, Peyton Manning, what have you done for me lately is fucking garbage because he's 26 years old. LeBron James did get to a, a finals at age 22, but it was kind of a fluke. And then LeBron didn't get back there till he was 27. And Michael Jordan didn't get be, didn't get to his first title since he was 27. So why are we advancing Giannis? because the media is advanced, because we have nothing better to talk about, because we expect immediate gratification with these guys and don't understand that it takes some time to really develop into superstars, Giannis deserves to be the MVP again. And, and look, I I, w- I have said this a hundred times and I'll, I'll say it again, and I'm sorry if you guys are like, Charlie, we know, but, but it bears repeating. I don't need the MVP this year. It'll suck if he doesn't get it but I don't need it as a fan. I'd rather have him be the playoffs MVP. I'd rather have him be the finals MVP. There's not really a playoffs MVP, but I'd rather him be the finals MVP. And, but at the same time, if he's playing MVP level basketball, that's all I need. And, and that's all I ask for. And right now Giannis is. And the fact that he can take a night off against uh, Sacramento because he has a sore knee is great. And the, the fact the Bucs can win that game and be dominant really I never think I never felt like the Bucks were going to lose that game. I mean, I think the Kings pushed and they, they really did, and they had a couple spurts, and they they went to the end, and I admire the fight out of Sacramento, but they never really it never really felt like Sacramento was going to win that game, and so I do think Giannis will have another night off this week. I you know they have four games right? No, three. They have, they have three games this week where they play. Golden State on Tuesday, which I think Antetokounmpo will play, and then he'll either rest against Dallas on Thursday or he'll rest against Charlotte on Friday. And whichever game they decide is great. I think you should rest the Dallas game and you know play for the fans, but that's that's Giannis's decision and we'll see which we'll see where he goes. But good weekend for the Bucks. Really liked everything with the holiday extension and the two game the winning the two games. Now if you can get Golden State, now you're you're in a pretty good spot with the road trip, and then to add the other snow tap overused term, you're in house money for that Dallas game. The Dallas game really doesn't matter. Some could say that the first weekend in baseball really doesn't matter either. Now, I contend that every game is important, that game one to game 162 is, all, is going to matter, and that you could look back at the second or third game of the season and say, well, if you just would have won that game, if you just would have found a little more offense on Saturday night, that should have been a win. And it's tough. Um, you know, I to take a page out of Pat McAfee's book where he does it on Monday morning quarterback of I don't want to overreact, but there are a few things with the Brewers where I'm, you know, a little nervous and, and, and things can change and things can calm down and you can get into a groove. And I think you always like to start off the season hot, but when you start off the season cold, it definitely leaves you with more questions than answers. So you have Milwaukee right now 1-2 and two, and really could have been 0-3 if it's not for a dramatic win on Thursday afternoon. So you're thankful for that win on Thursday afternoon. I think right now the biggest worry I have with the Brewers is the bullpen. And the bullpen was really bad on Sunday. They gave up six runs. Drew Rasmussen was a mess. Josh Lindblom had some struggles. The Brewers were bad from the bullpen perspective. They did not do well. Uh, they gave up eight to- or six total runs, eight for the game, but it was bad. It was really bad for, I think it was five, excuse me. They gave up five. I think the Brewers had one unearned run. So they gave up, you know, Five runs. Uh, Rasmussen was terrible in his his one inning. He gave up three runs. Lindblom struggled in his two innings, and that that's tough, man. And you continue to see some problems in that bullpen. I mean, they have not really had a clean night. They they did strike out a lot of guys on Thursday, but they also gave up a couple runs. Yardley gave up two. We gave up a home run to Byron Buxton, who became a Brewer killer this weekend. So congrats to Byron Buxton, but fact of the matter is, is you have, you need a solid bullpen, especially when you're going through this season where these guys aren't pitching deep into games, especially early on, you know, Craig Council has talked about the fact that this is not a year where you're going to have seven or eight innings of work from a, from a guy, because they're just, they, they got ramped up late last year, then they ramped down and they ramp right back up again. That there was some concerns that this could affect pitchers, and that pitchers weren't going to be able to go that deep in the games. And even when a guy goes deep, like Cor- Corbin Burns, the hope would be that maybe someone can hold it down for just one run. And it, again, it didn't happen that way. They gave up a run. Brent Suter did, and that that sucks, man. That that's something that you can't or it was attributed to Suter. I don't know if Fireson gave it up. Doesn't matter regardless the brewers need to hold steady they need to have that bullpen in tip-top shape you're not going to be perfect every game i'm not expecting perfection every game but i'm also expecting you to kind of be able to hold your water and be able to tell this offense like hey you have a window to come back and in the game against minnesota on sunday that window shut when Rasmussen gave up those three runs. I mean, it was six to one. Bradley gets a home run, so it gets back to six to two. But again, that window shuts again when Lindblom gives up two more runs. That's eight to two. That's over. And it's like, all right, we lost this game. So the Brewers bullpen needs to be better. Also, who needs to be better is Keston Hira. Keston Hira, complete 0 for this weekend. Now he faced Trevor Williams tonight. He has great... uh Great stats against Williams. He's he's had three home runs. He's batted 571 against him. You hope that this is a get right spot for him. Now, the sample size obviously is not large because Hira has not been in the league for a long time. But I, I know that there'll be a lot of Brewer fans that are worried about what Hira is right now. Craig Council is a guy who does kind of dig his heels in on this type of stuff. I expect Hira to still be near the top of the order. I don't think they're gonna give Hira a night off, especially given how he's, against Williams. I think they'll let him try to see if he can break out of it. I don't want to call it a slump yet. I think we're a game or two away from saying, all right, this is a full-blown slump. Um, and yeah, if he struggles against Williams tonight, maybe give him the next day off. Let Dan Vogelbach play first base. kind Maybe Travis Shaw. I don't know. Um, just do something different because right now is Hira has really really struggled and I don't know if it's the adjustment I don't know if it's the pitching just sort of caught up and it was not as easy as spring training sometimes you can see guys struggle with that transition but yeah it was a bad it was a bad first weekend for Keston Hira so little little concern there um, but not going to not going to go crazy In the other overreact category, I'm not going to overreact to Corbin Burns being an electric factory. Corbin Burns allowed one hit. It was a home run to Buxton, the Brewer Keller, and he has struck out 11 in, what, seven and almost eight innings of work, or no, almost almost seven innings of work. He was six and one third. I mean, Burns was incredible. Burns was an absolute dynamite performance. But I also don't want to say, all right, this is the expectation for Corbin Burns every time out. We do, as Brewer fans, believe he could be a Cy Young winner. We do believe that last year he did not get enough love or credit for being a Cy Young contender, partly because Milwaukee's in a flyover state. And if Burns had the year that he did in LA or New York or Chicago, everybody would be sucking his dick and everyone would talk about him as a Cy Young. But because we're in Milwaukee, no one gives a fuck, which. I get and I I don't I hate doing that little brother stuff, but sometimes it's just true and this is an example of it. So I don't want to overreact to one awesome Corbin Burns start. I think it's worth getting excited about. I think it's worth, you know, making appointment television to watch Corbin Burns. That's really what I think it is. I think it's in the early part of the baseball season. Now I'm a little different because I do the blogs. I do the reviews, but if you're a casual fan, you're like, ah, I don't need to watch the Brewers every night. I just need to tune in on certain nights. And, and like also, if you have a significant other, you got to fight your battles, right? It's likely they don't want to be watching Brewers baseball every night. And it would probably drive them crazy, especially in early April. But I feel like at this point, you make time for Cor- Corbin Burns. You say, honey it's Corbin Burns night, we're watching the Brewers. And that's and that's kind of your sticking point. I think he's gonna be pitching against St. Louis on opening day for the Cardinals, which is a Thursday afternoon game, I think around 3.10. So that one, you might not have to worry about the uh, fiance or the girlfriend or the boyfriend. I don't know, maybe, you know, whatever, it's 2021. And they have to worry about, hey, you know, hey, I'm not, I don't want to watch another Brewers game. It's like, yeah, but we got to watch Corbin Burns. That's kind of what I think Corbin Burns has elevated himself to. I think that's the kind of what you watch now. And you watch for Corbin Burns. You see if he can continue to be successful and you enjoy the shit out of every start that he makes. So yeah, that's that's the overreact on the other side of it. You don't want to overreact to one great Corbin Burns start. Brewers play the Cubs this weekend. The Cubs played the Pirates who are not going to be good this year. They went two and one. I don't think there's a ton to take away. Um, the Brewers have played well in Wrigley the last couple of years. I don't, will they face Kyle Hendricks? I think they do get Kyle Hendricks on on Wednesday, which sucks because Kyle Hendricks has been dynamite against the Brewers for his career. Another Brewer killer in his own right. Um, but yeah, Trevor Williams tonight against Brett Anderson. Trevor Williams has been a gas can the last two, two years as a Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher. So he's kind of trying to revive His career in Chicago, the Brewers have good numbers against Williams. So it could be a get right spot. As for Anderson, I'll be really curious to see how he does with the new Brewer defense. Um, He's a ground ball pitcher. It should be much better for Anderson than it was last year. So I do kind of like Milwaukee's chances tonight. Um, Obviously don't want to predict wins and losses in the A, in the early part of the year, B, in baseball, because you never know. Baseball is unpredictable. Then on Tuesday night, you have Freddy Peralta versus Adbert Alzale of the Chicago Cubs. I don't believe they've faced Alose. Is it Alose, Alose? We'll see. I apologize for butchering his name. a right-hander out of Venezuela. He's a young guy, one of the younger pitchers on the Cubs roster. He did pitch last year. He was not that successful at Wrigley. He did not face the Brewers. So this will be brand new. Brewers do tend to struggle when they face newer pitchers, I don't. He did pitch in 2019. Let's see if he faced the Brewers. This is good radio. He, oh, he did face the Brewers once. He only pitched faced them for an inning. He gave up a run, so that's extremely small sample size. So nothing to take away there. Tuesday, very interesting to see Freddie Peralta on Tuesday night, and then on Wednesday afternoon you have Woodruff versus Hendricks. So that should be a pitchers' duel, um, very similar to what we saw on Saturday evening. Um, if I were to say which is the one game to watch, I'd probably I'd probably lean either Tuesday with Freddie Peralta, just because I, I'm very curious to see what Peralta does as the starting pitcher versus you know the bullpen version of Freddie, or Wednesday afternoon with Woodruff versus Hendricks. I just I wouldn't recommend Hendricks starts; just frustrate the shit out of me because I'm like, What How can we not get hits off this guy? So it's more of like, I don't find Hendricks that fun to watch as an opposing team. I'd love to have him on my team, you know, right. But I don't really want to face Hendricks. It's not really a fun. I don't feel like it's fun to watch the Brewers face Kyle Hendricks. So my recommendation would be Tuesday night, but I could see the Wednesday being a good time as well. To wrap up the show, we have my maybe greatest missed game of all time. So I got confirmed a Catholic on Saturday evening at the Holy Saturday, the Easter Vigil Mass. It's Holy Saturday. For those who don't know, that don't, we don't follow the papal calendar, it was Holy Saturday. Um, Easter Vigil is kind of when it's dark outside and and the sun is rising and this is the time when jesus is you know rises out of the tomb i won't give you a history lesson on this stuff and i probably would butcher it and i I, we do have priests listening i'm sure they'd be like what the hell is this um they probably also wouldn't like the comments i made earlier about you know s and d's and shit like that so anyways i'll I'll digress i knew i was going to miss the final four I knew I was gonna miss at least one game of the Final Four. I knew I was gonna miss Corbin Burns against Jose Barrios. I knew I was gonna miss part of the Bucks game. I knew I'd be home for the second half, at least. So I knew I was like, at least I have that going for me. And UCLA was a 15-point underdog, so I was like, yeah, you know, Gonzaga. I still took UCLA. Um, I, I, you know, thought the plus 15 was too much, but in no shape of the word did I think that this game would be like an all-time classic. This game would be among, like, Duke and Kentucky, North Carolina, Villanova, um, other, like, classics. And I I just missed it. I didn't get... Uh, Purdue-Virginia was another one that is incredible. And it, maybe I should have known because everybody was at my guy Twig's house. And that's where we watched Purdue and Virginia, which was an incredible game. I think kind of gets forgotten. But Purdue-Virginia's Elite Eight was an unbelievable basketball game. And... And so to miss this game, and I watched the first half and then I fell asleep. Um, you know, I had a stout and just kind of dozed off. And you're like, how could you fall asleep? And it's like, ah, I was tired. It was a long day. But so I have it on DVR. I haven't watched the second half. I, I didn't have time. At, I was doing stuff with Easter all, all sort of game. But obviously saw the ending, saw the moment. I watched it a few times. It was incredible. Um, and just to miss out on that sporting event <laughs> hurts so much. It's just, and, and I, and, and cause I'm a nerd and cause I'm, and you guys would say, wow, you're obsessed. I'm not even obsessed. It's just, I love to see Twitter go nuts with that. So like I made it a point, I got probably back 20 minutes after the game was over. I made it a point to scroll through Twitter and get back to when it happened and just to see everybody going nuts. It's why I love Twitter. And it's why I find Twitter to be the world's greatest sports bar, because everybody was just losing their shit. And we had not seen a buzzer beater all, all tournament. We had seen the tide uh, from or the tide hit the buzzer beater against UCLA, but that was to send it to overtime. This was to win the game. and it was so easy and it was so pure and nobody took a time out and it was just basketball at its finest. And so the fact that I missed this game just hurts me. <laughs> like it it does, it pains me. Like I look like I'm a big listener to Bill Simmons and to uh, part of my take and seeing both of them, their headlines today. You know, the Suggs game is what Simmons called it. Uh, fi- part of my take, Tri- Triple H, Final Four recap and the best game ever. Like I missed that shit. Now- I'm happy that I'm a Catholic. I'm happy I went through this process. But that will always pain me. That will be, for a long time, my number one, like, I missed this game was the Boise State-Oklahoma game. And that was a meaningless bowl game. But it was an upset for the ages. I've missed some other games here and there, I'm sure, that I could think about. Where I was like, oh, I missed that because. And I have to, like, look through, like, memorable sporting events throughout history and say all right was I was I available for that or was I somewhere else or was I in another country or whatever but to miss this game it it's heartbreaking it is heartbreaking and that's okay it happens it's life we're going to miss some sporting events but yeah i i that man that's going to hurt it's going to it's going to hurt for a while and when people, I, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm almost thankful. I'm just virtually, so I don't have people at work today like, did you see the game? Did you see that game? Are you kidding me? And I'd be like, yeah, I was at church, hanging out, three, almost a three hour mass. What are you going to do? Right. But, anyways, happy to be a Catholic. Sad that I missed that. And hopefully I get redemption on Monday. Maybe the basketball gods will bless me with a great game with Baylor and Gonzaga. I'm so excited for it. I have seen John Rothstein, you know, obviously hyping it up, saying it's the most anticipated game since North Carolina, Illinois in 2005. I was kind of wondering if that was the case. Like, I kind of thought about it and was like, I mean, I remember how excited I was for that game. I was middle, I was in high school. I remember watching it with my dad. That game was really, really special. And I remember the Illinois run, you know, their champion, their game against Arizona where they came back and won that game. And I remember being in a Hooters in Destin, Florida, of all places. Uh, But, you know, it's, that's sometimes where you are. But (laughs) trying to think of Rothstein's right on that. Virginia-Texas Tech was a great game. Like, it wasn't as anticipated, but that was an incredible game North Carolina-Gonzaga was a lot of fun. That North Carolina-Villanova game was really good. Duke-Wisconsin, I know my Wisconsin friends would argue, like, fuck off, that wasn't a good game. That was a really good one. There were some forgettable ones after that where you're like, ah, you know, Kansas-Memphis, the Derrick Rose game. I mean, that was incredible. Um, North Carolina-Illinois, and that's where kind of the inflection point was. And that game was down to the wire, back and forth the entire game, North Carolina prevailing by five. I still think Gonzaga's gonna win, but man, if Baylor shoots like they did on Saturday, Baylor can easily win this game. I don't know where I'm gonna go from a investment standpoint, but I think I'm leaning Baylor plus five. And if I'm gonna take the plus five, I might as well just throw a little on the money line, just because. Now, if Baylor wins... My fiance does not win the Snowtap Madness bowl. She has come very close years and years. I think this will if she doesn't win, this will be the fourth year out of five that she has come in like top 5 and hasn't won. Or like four out of six. She's like the Buffalo Bills. I've called her the Buffalo Bills of bracket of Snowtap Madness. And she could finish it off if Gonzaga wins. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's gonna go down to the wire. I think it's gonna be a classic. I will be disappointed if it's not, just especially after Saturday. Like if, if I don't get a classic, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bummed out. And lastly, to throw more salt in my wounds, the fact that Jalen Suggs could have been a Marquette Golden Eagle is man. I don't know. Like that that's that that's tough, right? Uh, Alan byakowski Alan, I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. Um, one of the guys I follow on Twitter, Bruce City77. Good follow if you're a Marquette fan or you want more Marquette sort of news and nuggets. Suggs could have been a Marquette Golden Eagle. We were down to his final three. It was Marquette, it was Maryland, or Maryland. It was Marquette, Minnesota, and Gonzaga. And he chose Gonzaga. And man, if Mark, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's better. Maybe it's better that Jalen Suggs didn't come to Marquette because if he would have came to Marquette, is Steve Wojciechowski still a coach? I, I think he might be, right? Like, is Marquette would have probably been a, I don't know, five seed, four seed, maybe, maybe a little better even. And who knows what Gonzaga looks like, but maybe it was a good thing that Jalen Suggs didn't come to Marquette. And maybe even though it bums you out, there's like, wow, that guy could have been a Marquette Golden Eagle and... Would have been remembered Finally, Probably been the highest drafted Marquette player since Dwayne Wade. It's probably a good thing he didn't come here. Because if he came here, Steve is probably still employed. Steve Wojcicki might've got to a sweet 16. He might've got like a two or three year cushion. Now we're starting over with Smart, So maybe it's a good thing Jalen Suggs didn't come here. So maybe I'm happy that he didn't come here. Give you a little perspective here on a Monday morning. right that'll do it for the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, we'll we'll talk about a variety of things. I'm sure I do a little Brewers Cubs recap if it's worth recapping. Sometimes baseball is worth recapping, sometimes it definitely is not. Um, we'll also talk about the, the national championship game, even though it's not really a local story. How can you not talk about the national championship? And we'll we'll find some other topics that are that are worth discussing. I'm sure there'll be some Jeopardy moments from Aaron Rodgers, who who the hell knows? Um, You never know with the media today. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye.